There's four things that I want you to see these, this morning in these five verses. First of all, I want you to see the promise to Paul and to every believer. Then we're going to see the peace of Paul that should be true for every believer. Then we're going to see the prayer of Paul, and then we're going to see the persuasion of Paul. All these four things that's mentioned right here in these first five verses. Paul says to Timothy in verse number one, he says, according to this promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, the reason I'm writing to you, the purpose of this letter is so that I might share with you according to the life which is in Christ Jesus, this promise we have in Christ. I love that. He's saying, Timothy, the reason I'm writing, I'm writing to you because of this promise. The reason for my ministry is because of this promise of life in Christ Jesus. Timothy, the reason I do what I do is because of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. See, the reason I think Paul went through the persecution that he faced was because of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. The reason he went on three missionary journeys all over the known world at that time was because of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. The reason he left his lifestyle as a Pharisee, having all the money he could ever spend and having all the social influence that he could stand, the reason he left all of that to really be chased down, hunted, listen, finally imprisoned and martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ simply because he was preaching the gospel. The reason he did that was because of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. That motivated him. That's what caused him to get up in the morning. That's what caused him to do what he did as far as ministry goes. Now let me say something to you. I think that should be true for us as well if we this morning are believers. Can you say amen? The reason for my individual ministry should be because of the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. The reason for our ministry collectively speaking right here at Mount Zion Baptist Church should be for no other reason than because of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has made a difference in me. I want to make a difference in this world. Because Jesus has brought me from death to life, from darkness to light, because Jesus has given me hope and peace and purpose in this life that I now live. I want everybody else to experience this. Listen, because I've been made partakers of this promise of life, because we have been made partakers of this promise of life, I want everybody else to get on it. How about you? I want to I share what the Lord has done in my life because I know that's what's needed in every life. See, the truth is, folks, that ought to be our motivating factor right here as we perform the ministry that we perform. It's because of this promise of life, not just to us, but to all men, to every man, woman, boy, and girl. That has to be our motivation. That has to be our goal. I see the truth is I feel sorry for folks who don't know the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because people who don't know the Lord will never experience life the way it is supposed to be lived. Can you say amen? I'm, I am confident of this. I am um, convinced of this. You can never really experience life. You can't have this promise of life. Listen to me now. Until you know the creator of life. 
And you'll never know the creator of life, God the Father, until you trust in God the Son. That's what the Bible teaches. The only way to the Father is through the person of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how life is to be lived, if you want to experience this promise of life, then folks, I want to tell you, it's found in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Timothy, that's the reason I'm writing what I'm writing and I'm doing what I'm doing. It's according to the promise of life in Christ. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference right now in our present day. That's what makes the difference all throughout eternity. Let's talk just a moment about this promise of life. What is the promise of life? Well, first and foremost, God has promised eternal life to all who trust in God the Son. God the Father has promised eternal life to all who by grace through faith trust in God the Son, the Lord Jesus. Let, let me prove it to you. You all know the scripture. John chapter 3, verse number 16. It's one of my favorite. I'm sure it's probably one of your favorite. If there's ever been a well-known scripture, I would say this is it. It's the gospel in a nutshell. John chapter 3, verse number 16. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Listen to what he says. He says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, watch this now, should not perish but have everlasting life. So what's the promise? All who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, listen to me now, can have eternal life. If you're thankful for that this morning, say amen. Isn't it good to know that we have eternal life if you've placed your trust in Christ? See, the truth is, folks, one of these days you're going to hear that Israel Price has died. You're going to hear that my eyes have closed in death. Let me tell you something. Don't you believe that for a split second? Don't you believe it? Because the moment I close my eyes in death, physically speaking, I'm going to be more alive than ever before. Because the Bible promises me, because I've believed on Jesus, I've trusted in Him for the forgiveness of my sin, I've been born again into the family of God, that my last breath on earth is followed by my first breath in heaven. So the moment I close my eyes in death... I will be more alive than ever before. I'll be in the presence of God, unhindered by this flesh. I'll be in the presence of God, unhindered by my sin. I'll be in the presence of God, in, unhindered by Satan himself. I'll be in the presence of God, unhindered by the stuff the world throws at me. And if you're a believer, you have that same promise. Amen? That's good news. I'm thankful for the promise of eternal life. Now, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you don't have this hope. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you can't claim this promise. See, this promise of eternal life is conditional upon you believing on Jesus. Trusting in Him fully by faith for the forgiveness of sin. So let me ask you something. Has there ever been a time in your life where you know God the Holy Spirit convicted you and let you know how sinful you were? I remember when that happened to me, when God began drawing me unto Himself. Jesus actually says, No man can come unto the Father or unto me except the Father draws him. There's a drawing that takes place. That happened in my heart and my life. I began seeing my need for a Savior. God began showing me how much I needed to be forgiven. And all I did 
was fall down hopelessly and helplessly at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do it. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to save me. And at that moment, the burden that was upon my life, upon my soul lifted. And I've gotten peace that still lasts to this day. I went from being dead in trespasses and sins to being made alive in Christ Jesus. I went from being in the darkness to being in the light. I went from having no hope to having a living hope. (laughs) Folks, that is the message. That is the promise to all who trust in Jesus. That can be made real to you today. I've heard it said, and I believe it to be true, a man is never really truly ready to live until he's ready to die. I believe that. Goes for a woman too. I'm telling you, you must be ready to meet your appointed time, the time when you will close your eyes in death. And the only way you can be ready, the only way you can have this promise of eternal life is by faith in Jesus. Now, listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this though. Not only is this promise of life eternal, but this promise of life is abundant. You know what Jesus said? Brother, if you will, please put me on the screen. John chapter 10 and verse number 10. Watch what this tells us. John 10, verse number 10. Look how Jesus puts it here. He says, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. He's he's talking about our enemy, Satan himself. He calls him the thief. He's saying that the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come. The reason I'm here is that they who believe might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let me tell you what Jesus is promising to his believers. Not just eternal life, but eternal life which is abundant life. Amen? That's what God has promised us. Now what is abundant life? How do we define that? Well, I think the best way to define it is how Jesus defined it. John chapter 4 and verse number 14. Let's flip over there just a Speaking there to the woman at the well. John 4, verse 14. He says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So this abundant life that Jesus is talking about is overflowing life. It's bubbling up within your soul and flowing out for all to experience. Can you say amen? You ever been around some folks like that? I'm talking about those who walk in abundant life, who's operating by the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. I'm talking about those people who just can't help but speak truth. It's not like they've planned it. It's not like they have tried to work it out somehow in their mind before you got there. It's just like it just flows out of them. You ever been around folks like that? You've been around folks like that, that man, every time you get around them, they're always encouraging you and lifting you up and speaking life into you. You've been around folks that, man, you get around them, you can almost just sense the presence of God even in their presence. You've been around those folks where it can just be you and them and have church. Just enjoy the Lord. Let me tell you what that is. That is life abundant that Jesus has promised to every believer. but So why aren't all believers experiencing this abundance, this overflowing life? Because not all are, are they? 
Why are we missing out on this promise? Even as believers. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. I think a lot of it has to do with mindset. Let me tell you what we've been conditioned to believe. That our eternal life starts at the moment we get to heaven. I think that's kind of how we think sometimes. Man, it's all going to be um, hunky-dory and hallelujah, and we're going to praise Jesus forever when we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, everything's going to be all right. And there's a measure of truth to that. Listen, like I said before, we'll forever be in the presence of God, unhindered by this flesh, unhindered by sin itself, unhindered by Satan, unhindered by anything the world has to offer. We'll forever be with the Lord, and that's going to be fantastic. And I'm thankful for that promise of the sweet by and by but let me tell you something God offers abundant life not just then but now your eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven your eternal life began at the moment you trusted in Jesus as your personal savior see listen to me folks Christianity is not just about getting God or excuse me, about getting man out of earth and into heaven. That's not all Christianity is about. Christianity is also about getting God out of heaven and into man. Do you understand that? Do you realize that for the believer, when you got saved, a lot of great things happened? Yeah, your sins were forgiven. How many of you thankful for that? The Bible says our sins are put as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> that God will no longer hold your sin against you. Praise the Lord. What a blessing. The Bible says that our name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. The moment you trusted in Jesus and you know you were born again, at that moment your name was written down in heaven. Praise the Lord. Matter of fact, Jesus speaking to his disciples, they came to him and they said, Lord, you ain't going to believe it. We are casting out demons in your name. I mean, the de demonic spirits are even subject unto us as long as we're speaking your name and casting them out. Jesus said, don't be so excited that the demons know your name. What you need to be rejoicing about is that your name's written down in heaven. <laughs> I love that. That's true for every believer. Our sins are forgiven. Our name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. But let me tell you something awesome, something great, amazing that I still cannot get over. Do you also realize that as a believer, at the moment of conversion, you are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels made of clay. Uh, J. Vernon McGee always said, we're just a bunch of cracked pots. <laughs> and he's right. We're vessels made of clay, but inside these earthen vessels, the excellency and the power of God, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's about him and not of us. This treasure within us is none other than the person of God, the Holy Spirit. God lives in every believer. Dr. Rick Warren always said that the Holy Spirit sets up residence within our heart and life as believers. But he needs to be president in our heart and life as believers. And when we don't allow him to be president, we don't allow him to lead the way, when we don't allow him to lead God and direct us, relinquishing our will to his will, that's when we miss out on this abundant living. Amen? God lives in you. 
And because he lives in you, wherever you are, you can experience a little bit of heaven. Wherever you are, or whatever you're going through, you say, oh, now wait a minute, Brother Israel. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what's been happening to me. You don't know the problems that I'm facing. Well, let me give you some insight on the problems of the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the scripture we're studying this morning. Take your Bibles and keep your place there in, in, in 2 Timothy and flip over with me to 2 Corinthians just a moment. Chapter number 11. And look down at verse number 23. Excuse me, verse number 24. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He gives us a list here of all the things he's went through simply because he's being faithful to the things of God. Simply because he's preaching truth and loving people. Sometimes healing people, physically speaking, and certainly telling them how they can truly be healed, spiritually speaking. I mean, the Lord used the Apostle Paul in a great way, in mighty ways. But in the 24th verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, once I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I spent in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Paul said, I've been through it all you want to talk about someone that's been persecuted for their faith you want to talk about someone who's been through hardships it's none other than the apostle paul matter of fact he wrote four of the new testament books called the prison epistles and the reason they're called that is because he was in prison when he wrote them <laughs> this brother knew what hardship was all about yet he still says in romans 8 28 if God be for us, then who can be against us? He still makes it plain that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He still talks about the joy in the book of Philippians that he walks in even in the midst of the greatest hardships we could ever imagine. See, hardships circumstances, bad situations in your life does not have to define you as believers. Because we realize even in those times, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Can you say amen? How many of you have experienced in those times of hardships how that God even more so makes himself real and known to you? That's why Paul can then say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he found when he is at his weakest, then he's at his strongest. Because at his weakest, physically speaking, that's when God, the Holy Spirit, shows his power in his life in a greater way. Amen? When I'm weak, I am strong. Hardships, bad situations, circumstances, it does not define, should not define, us as believers. We can experience this abundance wherever we are, 
whatever we're going through. Sometimes it's because of mindset we miss out on that. We think we've got to wait to heaven before we can experience the Lord right now. But folks, your eternal life began the moment you trusted in Jesus. You're walking in it today, can you say amen? He's living in you today. Let me tell you another reason why sometimes we forfeit this life overflowing, this abundant life. I believe it's because of just plain old rot gut sin. When we as believers choose to disobey the Lord, we hinder what God wants to do in us and through us. Take your Bibles, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And look down at verse number 19. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy there. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. Do you know that? God knows who you are. God knows whether you are his or you're not his. See, folks, I can hide from you and I can fool you and you can hide from me and you can fool me, but nobody can fool God. God knows who's his. What the Bible's saying. And he says, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, depart from sin. If you claim to be a child of God, we need to do everything we can do to walk in holiness, to walk in love. Can you say amen? Hey, I I was talking to a brother just this week, me and Brother Shane, we was talking about the importance of speaking truth. But how many of you know, if you don't speak truth in love, Many times, you can do a whole lot more harm than you do good. I found that to be true as a pastor. You, yeah, it's important to speak truth. It's important to give people the word of God. But when you do it, you've got to do it from a right heart, from a heart filled with love. And so everything we do as believers has to be motivated by love. We're to do everything we do to walk in holiness, to, listen, what he says, depart from iniquity. Verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, if you'll sanctify yourself, if you'll clean yourself up and allow God to do the work in you that needs doing, put away those sinful things, then God's ready to use you. God's ready to work on you, work in you, and work through you. And I'm going to tell you, that's where abundance is found, when God's working on you, when God's working in you, and when God's working through you. But you've got to depart from iniquity, he says. Many times we hinder what God wants to do and what God can do simply because of our sinful choices. So I think we need to take advantage of the advice Paul gives Timothy. Depart from iniquity. Experience that abundance right now where you're meat, like he says, for the master's use. You need to see, folks, the promise 
to Paul and to every believer, but that's not all. He also talks about the peace that he's experienced, that he prays um, Timothy would also experience. Look at verse number two, and to, or 2 Timothy chapter number one. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's this peace that Paul speaks of? Well, it's the peace that passeth all understanding. It's what the Bible calls it. Folks, like I told you before, man, when I was lost and undone, when I was headed for a devil's hell, I had absolutely no peace, no purpose. As a matter of fact, I can remember laying awake in bed at night, trembling because I knew if I didn't wake up before the next morning, if I, if I died in, in, in my sleep that night, that I was going to bust hell wide open. There's no peace in that. But I'm thankful in knowing just like Paul said, we have peace if we've experienced grace. He said, brothers, what does he say that? Well, he says it right here in verse number two. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, and this is the introduction that he uses in all of his letters. He always says grace, mercy, and peace. He never says peace mercy and grace. He always puts grace before peace. Let me tell you why he says that. Because he understands, and we need to understand, until you've experienced the amazing grace of God, you'll never experience the peace of God. Until you've come to the place where you trust in Jesus fully, and you know you've been born again, there's never going to be peace for dying, and there's never going to be peace for living. So he says, grace first. Mercy and peace. You experience mercy and peace after having experienced amazing grace. That's the point. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Put that on the screen for me, brother. Look what this says. Romans 5, 1. I love this verse. If you want peace, the Bible tells you how to get it. He says, therefore being justified by faith. Now, somebody give me a definition for justified. To be made right. So let's read it like that. Therefore, being made right in the eyes of God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to get peace? I'm talking about peace for dying. I'm talking about peace for living. I'm talking about peace in knowing that I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Can you say amen? I'm talking about peace in knowing that if I close my eyes in death, I'm going to, listen, take my first breath in heaven. That's the kind of peace I'm talking about. The Bible says you can have that. Through faith in Jesus. Isn't that good? So Paul's praying for Timothy and he says, I pray that you have grace, experience grace, <laughs> mercy, and peace. The peace that Paul is talking about is available to all of us. Not only do I want you to see the promise to Paul and to every believer and the peace of Paul, which should be true for every believer, but also see the prayer of Paul. Paul says, Timothy, I'm praying for you continually. Look what it says in verse three. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience and without ceasing. I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now, if you know anything about the apostle Paul, if you've read his writings, if you've read the letters to the churches, you know that he's continually praying for the people of God. Let me tell you why. Because Paul was a man of prayer and he was a man of prayer because he knew the power that prayer possesses. Now listen to me. If we could ever get a hold of the power of prayer, we would take advantage of the privilege of prayer more than we do. I promise you that. 
I promise you that. When you choose to pray as, the, as a child of God, the power of God is released upon your situation. How many know you'll do things for your children that you won't do for nobody else? Is that right, mamas? Y'all know that, don't you? Daddies, we know that too. I can't speak for my wife. I certainly see her doing for her kids. She goes above and beyond for her kids, but I'm not a mama, so I can just speak as a, as a daddy. But so for, for me, I remember, I don't know when it was, I guess two or three years ago, I had worked all day and been a long day at work, man, got home and was ready to sit down, put my feet up and relax. And, and, and so we ate supper. Um, uh, I'd already sat down in the recliner and, and pulled that lever on the side, man, kicked my feet up and was enjoying life. And Anna Kate comes to me and she says, Dad, let's go over and get a Frosty at Wendy's in Fulton. Now, folks, I can't think of anything, anything that would make me get up after I had done sat down in that recliner having got my belly full and get me to go over to, Frost, to, to Wendy's in Fulton and get a Frosty. Nothing, nobody could have made me done that except my daughter. You may tell you why? Because I'll do things for my kids. I won't do for nobody else. Amen? And so guess what we did? We got up. I put my shoes back on. We went over to Fulton and got us a Frosty from Wendy's. My point is this. You as believers are adopted into the family of God. And now the Bible says that you are sons and daughters of the Most High. And the Bible says that when you choose to pray, he chooses to listen. And the Bible says, as a good, good father who loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love, he's ready to meet the needs that you have. So ask him. James says, we have not because we. So ask him. Paul was a man of prayer because he knew how powerful prayer truly is. Continually pray for what you need. Pray for your loved ones. That's what Paul's doing. He's praying for whom he calls his young son in the faith, Timothy. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Jesus. What do we do every morning at 9 o'clock? We're praying one for another right here in this body of believers. Pray for your pastor as your pastor prays for you. Pray for your lost loved ones who need Jesus, who you know need to come to the Lord. I'm so thankful that people never gave up on me, that they continually prayed for me. I don't know where I'd be without the prayers of the people of God. I can tell you this. I can promise you I wouldn't be at Mount Zion Baptist Church right here today on Mother's Day preaching this message without God's people praying. I promise you that. Pray one for another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Stay in a continual attitude of prayer throughout your day. Listen, not just to ask God for, for the things you need, but to also tell him how good he is. It's through prayer that we praise. Man, there'll be times in my day I'll see God do things or hear about God doing things, and I don't have to say it to nobody else. I don't have to let everybody else know what I'm doing. I just, in, in my head, in my heart, because God hears that, I just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making that right. Thank you, Lord, for fixing that situation. Thank you, Lord, for this food you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for my good job. 
Thank you, Lord, for my family and them being healthy. Thank you, Lord, for my church. Stay in that continual attitude of praise and prayerfulness throughout your day to make all the difference. Then we need to see not only this promise to Paul and to every believer and the peace of Paul, which should be true for every believer, and the prayer of Paul that we need to take advantage of this power in prayer, but also this morning, see the persuasion of Paul. Listen to what he says. He says, Timothy, I've looked at your grandma and I looked at your mama and I'm convinced that the same unfeigned, everybody say unfeigned, the same unfeigned faith that is in you or is it, that was in them is now in you. I like that. There's a poem by a Scottish-born American who lived in the 1800s called William Ross Wallace. And it goes something like this. They say that man is mighty. He governs land and sea. He wields a mighty scepter or lesser powers that be. But a, but a mightier power and stronger man from his throne has hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. I like that. That's good stuff. There's a lot of truth in that. The point of that poem is that women, mothers, have probably the greatest influence over their children. See, I love my babies. I'm thankful for them. I praise God for them. I realize that children are a blessing from the Lord. But I realize even though I love them with everything in me, I'm probably never going to have the bond that they have with my wife. Because there's just something special about the bond between a mama and their babies. I love Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll says that apart from the sovereignty of God and his work in our life, the next thing that's as powerful as that or the next in line from that is the influence of a mama upon the lives and beliefs of her children. That's powerful and that's true. I believe with everything in me, mamas have the power to change the world, but they change the world through those children that God has blessed you with. Paul said, I looked at your grandma and I seen this faith in her and then I looked at your mama and I seen this faith in her and now I look at you and I'm persuaded that you've got the same faith. What kind of faith? Well, the Bible says an unfeigned faith. I've looked that up this week. What does unfeigned faith mean? First of all, an unfeigned faith means a wholehearted faith. It means that you are not just giving some to Jesus, but all to Jesus. We sang the song this morning about surrender. I love the old hymn song um, that we are to surrender to the Lord. All to the Lord I give. Everything within me is now His. It's no longer about what I want, but what God wants. It's no longer about my plans, but 
God's plans. See, mamas, what I'm trying to tell you is a faith that makes a real difference in the life of your children, a faith that will cause them to want what you have with the Lord is, is a wholehearted faith. Not you going halfway with Jesus, but you going all the way with Jesus. Wholeheartedness, faithfulness to the things of God. That's what your children want to see. Not only is unfeigned faith a wholehearted faith, but it's a faith without hypocrisy. What, is, what does it mean to be hypocritical? It means to say one thing and do another. I had a pastor, friend of mine, a mentor, teacher over at the Baptist Bible Institute who said something one time, one time that really spoke to me. We was at class over there one night, and he looked at all of us. There's probably about 100, 100 uh, men in there that night. And he said, guys, I want to tell you something. There is a measure of hypocrisy in every message you preach. And when I heard that, it made me mad. I thought, well, how does he know who I am or what I do? And then the longer I sat there, the more I got convicted, realizing he's exactly right. There is a measure of hypocrisy in every message I preach. Let me tell you why. Because none of us are perfect. Do you know I still need the grace of God? Just like you need the grace of God? Do you know I'm thankful that God's mercies are new every morning? Because I need them every morning? Do you know as long as I've got breath in my lungs, I've got growing room just like you do? So what I'm saying is, there's a measure of hypocrisy in all of us. Mamas, there's a measure of, of hypocrisy in you. But we should strive to make that less instead of more. I'm not okaying sin. I'm just being real with you. I'm just being a realist. If you want an unfeigned faith, a faith that makes a difference in your children's lives, a real difference, a lasting difference, a difference that God would be pleased with, it needs to be a faith without hypocrisy, a wholehearted faith. Let me give you one more needs to be a sincere faith. Amen. It needs to be the real thing. The real thing. It needs to be a faith that they see you living out on Sunday in the church house, but also a faith they see you living out in your house on Monday or at the grocery store, at the ball game. It needs to be a faith that they see is real in you. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this from my own experience. When they see that, they'll want what you've got. I saw that kind of faith in my mama, that unfeigned faith. I saw that she had a real, right relationship with God. Not that she was perfect because she wasn't. There wasn't any, there aren't, there wasn't and there aren't any perfect mothers. But I'll tell you this, I knew she loved Jesus. I knew it. I could see it all over. And I wanted that. I wanted that realness that I saw in her makes all the difference makes all the difference it worked with Timothy and it'll work with us if we put it into practice an unfeigned faith amen now I've come to find out that when I preach messages like this sometimes it can be very encouraging it can lift you up and I hope it has
But I've also found out from my own experience, it can be very convicting. It really can. See, I don't know if y'all realize it or not, but the person who gets all this first is me. And I've got to deal with it first before I come out here and give it to you. And so it can be very convicting. <laughs> you, you can look back and say, boy, I've blown it here and I've blown it there. And golly, I made a mess of it doing that or not doing that back there. You know, you can look back in your past and it'll just wreck you if you let it. I got some good news for you. Do you know that God is a God of restoration? Do you know the scripture says that God can restore what the enemy has robbed? Do you know that because of God's amazing grace, his undeserved favor, that you can get real with Jesus right now and start making a difference right now? that will not only change your life, but go a long way in changing your children's life. That's how good God is. That's how big God is. That's how powerful God is. I'm telling you, He loves you. Do you believe it? He loves you. And this morning, I must ask you, before this time of invitation, have you experienced the life that we've been speaking about today? Have you trusted in Jesus and you know that you've been born again? Do you know you're ready to meet the Lord? Do you have peace for dying and peace for living? If not, why not today? Why not today? Why not right now? I'm telling you, the same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you. He can change you forever. He can make a difference in your life individually, in your family, in your church. He can make a difference in everything. There's a whole lot of difference in being in the dark and walking in the light. Amen? And that's what he does. He brings us into the light. He shows us what life is all about. You can have it today if you don't already. If you have been saved, you know you've been born again, but Maybe there's some things in your life that are hindering you from living the abundance that Jesus promised. There's some sin in your life that's weighting you down. The Apostle Paul, I believe the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 says that we are to run the race with patience that is set before us. And we're to lay aside every weight in the sin that doeth so easily beset us. If you're going to run a race effectively, you need to be as light as possible. Right? Don't let that sin weigh you down. Cast that sin off. And start running to win. Start running to please the Lord. Not just on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday. Every day and everywhere. At every time. Don't be hindered by the cares of this world. Don't forfeit this abundant living that comes when Jesus works on you, works in you, and works through you. L let me say this. If you know you've been saved, do you know this, that the same grace that saves you keeps you? 
And the Bible says if you'll confess your sin to you, he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Whatever you need today, this invitation is for you. Everybody stand together, please. You'll be closing this service.